Good afternoon once again, family. Uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Amen. It's a joy to be gathered together to make much of Jesus as we've already been doing so through the praying, through the singing. Thank you, Sister Nikki, for leading us uh, so faithfully and beautifully uh, just this afternoon uh, to, to see him and worship him rightly. Um, amen. And now we get to continue to do that through the preached word. So if you have a Bible, uh, let me get you to turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 is where we're going to be as we continue in our sermon series, Marks of a Biblical Church, Marks of a Biblical Church. And I want to encourage you, if, if, if you haven't been able to listen to the last few sermons, I want to encourage you to, to listen to those as, as we you know, are about to dive into the third element uh, that we're going to look to today, but the last two are connected with one another, right? And so, so they're all connected. Just want to encourage you, uh, and hopefully that those sermons might be an encouragement to you as well as we continue to think about uh, the early church. But just a brief recap as to where we've been. Uh, as we've been looking at the early church, so, you know, we've been looking at the first church and you know, their gathering and how uh, their gathering was shaped by these particular elements, right, that we've been looking at, you know, the first couple of weeks uh, in hopes that they would continue to strengthen our gathering and shape our gathering. That's the hope. That's the that's the goal. And so week one, we looked at devoting ourselves to the apostles teaching. And uh, we we looked at yeah devoting ourselves to to healthy teaching. So in thinking about the, the primacy of God's word, that God's word is of most importance. To, so the importance of God's word and then devoting our lives to it. Right. Devoting our lives to what's most important. Uh, and that being God's word, as we see the Christians here in the early church doing so. And that is God's word also and the right teaching of God's word that shapes the rest of the elements listed in this passage. Right that shapes the rest of the elements and that essentially shapes everything we do as a church. God's word, right? And so we looked at that week one. Then week two, last Sunday, uh, we looked at fellowship. We talked about fellowship and that for Christians, by God's grace and his mercy, we have fellowship with him. And that's nothing that you did or that I did, but all that Christ did to allow us to to. Yeah, grant fellowship with him, right? And so we talked about fellowship with God and not only having fellowship with God, but God is so kind and wonderful that he allows us to have fellowship with one another as a body, as a church, as a people in him. And that that fellowship is through Jesus and that it is also centered on Jesus. Right? So our fellowship that we have with God is through Jesus, by his spirit, and that is centered on Jesus. Amen? Amen. So we looked at that last week. And so today we're going to look at the third element by God's grace that's listed in the passage. And that one is the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. So let me pray again and then we'll, we'll dive in. The uh, scripture should be on the screen as well. And so let me, let me pray and then we'll read God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for how uh, good you are, how merciful you are, how kind you are, how gracious you are to allow us to be gathered here this afternoon. We find it a great mercy. Yeah, a, a, just your grace, Lord, that we are even able to come together to worship you. As we were even praying and thinking about before the service, I believe it was Sister Nikki just, just reminding us that, that, yeah, this isn't the freedom that some of our brothers and sisters have overseas, that they can't come together freely like we can right now and open our Bibles. And so, Lord, may we never take that for granted, that we get to come together, at least right now, uh, to pray and to sing and to worship and to read your word and to hear your word preached. And so may we yeah, see that as your gift and mercy and that we get to do that together as a community of Christians. And so, Lord, we praise you for that, Lord. And we just, yeah, just pray 
Uh, God, that you'll be magnified through the preached word, that you would hide me behind the cross. It's all about you. Get all the glory. Be magnified, Lord Jesus. May everyone under the sound of my voice see you more beautifully, rightly. And Lord, I just pray that as a result, we will respond to you in worship as we've already been doing so, but that we will continue to respond in you, in worship, in joy, and in adoring you for your word, for who you are and what you have done. Lord Jesus, you are precious. Lord, would you now, as we dive into your word, become even more precious to us as we hear your word unfolded to us this afternoon. We love you. We pray, God, that your word would do the work in all of our hearts in every way that you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So Acts 2, verses 42 through 47 reads as follows. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's word. Amen. 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 If you're taking notes Here's the main idea that we've been teasing out since the start of this series. It's the same main idea as I mentioned that this will be the main idea that we will be teasing out during this series. Here's the the main hope that I've been uh, striving to get across. It is this, that the early church's fellowship was marked by essential elements and evidence fruit as a result. So the early church's fellowship was marked by essential elements and evidenced fruit as a result. One point this afternoon with two subpoints. <laughs> so one point with two subpoints uh, this afternoon. Then I'm out your way. Point one and only point. Devote yourselves to the breaking of bread. Devote yourselves or devote it to the breaking of bread. And we'll see that in verses 42 to 46. And those two subpoints, if you want to go ahead and write those down, is number one, regular meals. Subpoint number two, the Lord's Supper, right? That's what we're going to dive into this afternoon in the text. So point one and only point with two subpoints this afternoon, devote yourselves to the breaking of bread. We're going to look at regular meals this afternoon. So look back with me at verses 42 and 46. Here's what they read. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread bread and the prayers. Verse 46, it says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So we see in both of these verses that the disciples fellowship, right? As we've been you know, walking through this over the last couple of weeks, we've been seeing that the disciples fellowship, the early church's fellowship included the word, right? And so a devotion to the word, to the apostles teaching, to healthy teaching, and then also fellowship around that word, right? So fellowship around the word, centered on the word, Jesus. And that it also, as we're looking at this afternoon, included the breaking of bread together. The breaking of bread together. Now, this is a common phrase that even some of you all, some of us may even use today to refer to eating a meal together, right? You may have, you know, heard someone say this, or you may even say this, right? Let's, let's break bread together, right? Signaling that you want to get your grub on <laughs> with whether your 
family or church family or friends, right? So this is a common phrase that we hear or even may use, right? And, and, and this is exactly the idea that's being described here, which also includes the Lord's Supper. And we'll look a bit more later in the sermon at the Lord's Supper. But, but scholars debate if the breaking of bread that's listed here in both of these verses is referring to only one of those ideas, right? Regular meals, just normal meals, right? That you would have or the Lord's Supper. But they all agree that at the very least, it means both. That it means both, right? That the believers gathered together to eat, you know, a, a normal meal. And that normal meal also included the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper. So it was that, that fried chicken, you know, that, that mac and cheese, green beans, and a roll type of meal, plus the Lord's Supper. Now, I know with me just mentioning that, it's the afternoon, and I know folks is hungry. So please don't check out on me in the beginning of the sermon as you're thinking about some fried chicken right now or some mac and cheese. And I'm mentioning it again. Let me stop mentioning this. You know what I mean? So, so, so stay, stay locked in. <laughs> and so, so how, do we, how do we know this, right? Well, <clears throat> this, is, this is how the New Living Translation uh, faithfully even translates this verse. It says in verse 42, this is a New Living Translation that I'm reading. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. Including the Lord's Supper. But we also know this for a few other reasons, right? We know this for a few other reasons, right? In that, and reason number one is that Jesus modeled having meals together. Mm-hmm. Right? Jesus modeled this in his life, in his time with the disciples, right? Jesus modeled sharing in meals together. One thing about our Lord is he loved to eat. He loved to eat, right? And some of you are just like our Lord. And that's a good thing. And that's a good thing. You love to eat too. You love to get your grub oil too. It ain't nothing wrong with that. Ain't nobody knocking none of that, right? But it, it, it wasn't only that Jesus just loved to eat in general, which he did. He loved to eat. It was also that he loved to eat on mission. He loved to eat on mission. He had a mission on mind, in mind, as he was eating. Here's what I mean by that. In the Gospels, we see Jesus providing food for the disciples and the crowds, right? As well as participating in the enjoyment of food with the disciples and the crowds. So we see him providing food. We also see him participating. Right. In the enjoyment of food with the disciples in the crowd. So a couple of examples of this in Matthew 14, Jesus performs a miracle in feeding the five thousand. Right. You may recall. And he does the same in feeding the four thousand just a chapter later. And so in chapter 15, listen to Matthew 14 and then also Matthew 15. So Matthew 14, 13 through 21, it says, Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Verse 16, but Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples And the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. It's Matthew 14, 13 through 21, Matthew 15. So just a, a chapter later, similar situation, right? 
Verse 35, it says, and directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish and having given thanks to, excuse me, having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. So what that means is that the women and children were included in that number, right? So Jesus sees a need and he meets it. Sees a need, he sees that folks are hungry. He's been laboring, right? He's been proclaiming, he's been healing. Also seeing that there's another physical need, that folks are hungry. So he meets that need. Then we see in Mark 2, Jesus is at Matthew's crib, right? He's, he's cooling. He's, he's getting his grub on with tax collectors and sinners there. People that the religious folk of his day wouldn't be caught hanging with, right? Listen to Mark 2, 13 through 17. He says, he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, who is Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Verse 15, as he reclined, as Jesus reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So even in this situation, you see that that Jesus on mission, having a missional meal, right? As he's eating with Matthew, who he's just called a few verses before. And others following after him. They've been hearing the hype. They've been seeing that, man, this Jesus is, is he is the real deal. And they've been following him. Right. So Jesus on mission is reclining at Matthew's crib. With many other tax collectors and sinners. And the religious folk of that day, they're hating. But Jesus was there on purpose, on a mission so we see Jesus eating a meal here with those labeled as outcasts. Another example, really quick. Jesus, after being raised from the dead, after being raised from the dead, he's asking for fish. <laughs> he's asking for fish for breakfast. This is our Lord. So listen to John 21, 4 through 6, and then 9 through 13. So I'll skip over a couple of verses there. But it says, so John 21, 4 through 6, it says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them in verse 5, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled it, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although they were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. So that's John 21, 9 to 13 and verses before. But in these examples, we see Jesus providing food for the disciples and the crowds, but then also participating in the food, in the enjoyment of the food. Breaking bread, breaking bread. Numerous occasions we read in those passages, similar to where we're at in Acts 2, that Jesus is breaking bread. 
having a meal with the disciples, having a meal with the people. All right. So Jesus modeled what fellowship meals entailed. He modeled for us what fellowship meals entail. Not only did Jesus model this, though, but number two, the early church imitated. The early church imitated, right? The early church imitated. Again, we see this in our passage this afternoon, Acts 2, 42 and 46, that the early church piggying off of just, just they're copying, imitating what they saw their Lord do, devoting themselves to coming together. And breaking bread. This is what they devoted themselves. Another translation would say that they continually devoted themselves. This wasn't just a one-time deal. This was an ongoing devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, right? But particularly as we're thinking about breaking bread this afternoon, that this was an ongoing breaking bread together, an ongoing fellowshipping around the word and the meal together. So they imitated what Jesus did with them and also showed them. Jesus was the epitome of hospitality. He was the epitome of hospitality. I know we have some really gifted sisters in our congregation, Sister Sean, who is just gifted with hospitality, right? And others in our congregation as well. But Jesus, we get, we get that from Jesus, We get that from Jesus. Jesus is the epitome of hospitality. Amen? Amen. And the early church modeled this hospitality. And as a result, so Jesus modeled, the early church imitated. Therefore, family, we should imitate. We should imitate and are imitating, right? So the question for us this afternoon, saints, would be this. Are you, am I, prioritizing meal times together. Bless you. Are we prioritizing meal times together with your church family, with non-Christians? Do you see the dinner table as a discipling and missional tool? Do you see it as that? And if you already see it as that, amen. Praise God. Continue to see it as that. That our dinner table, our times over meals can be used, can be served as a discipling and missional tool. One encouragement, one challenge would be that maybe consider this week. This week, this upcoming week, inviting one of the members over for dinner. Inviting a member over for dinner to come hang out, to fellowship over a meal, to encourage one another. Consider that and then act on that. And also, maybe even during your work day, if your schedule allows it or however it might work out in your schedule or Whatever that might mean during work, after work, whatever the case may be. But just think about instead of eating lunch alone, maybe invite. Consider inviting a coworker or a friend, a non-Christian friend to grab lunch with you. To be on mission. Just a practical way. Just to think about that, right? Just to think about prioritizing meal times as a discipling and missional opportunity. Consider that. Pray about that. And then act on that. This week, invite some members over, hang out, get your grub on, try to catch up with some non-Christian friends over lunch or coffee, whatever that might mean. But the, the, the goal of that in being like our Lord is to be on mission, even during our meal times, Right? Y'all with me? You tracking with me? Amen. 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 So that's so that's so that's that's regular meals, right? As we're thinking about, you know, devoting to breaking of bread, devoting ourselves to the breaking of bread. That's that's regular meals. That's normal meals. 
normal meals that we would have in a fellowship time now. So that's subpoint A, subpoint B, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. Again, we're still talking about a devotion to the breaking of bread. And we've spent just that first little chunk of this sermon just looking at how this is referring to normal, regular meals as a body, right? So at the very least, as I just mentioned, at the very least, it means this, right? It means that. It means regular meals, devoting ourselves to fellowship, (laughs) to breaking bread together, right? Normal meals. But that it also included the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, right? Again, the NLT translates, translates it that way, as I've already read earlier in the sermon. So what is the Lord's Supper? What's the importance of the Lord's Supper? Well, I, I'll aim to, to answer these questions in this segment of the sermon. So first off, what is the Lord's Supper? What is the Lord's Supper? A helpful definition from Post- Pastor Bobby Jameson at CHBC in his little book, Understanding the Lord's Supper, it goes something like this. He says, the Lord's Supper is a church's act of communing with Christ and each other and of commemorating Christ's death by partaking of bread and wine and a believer's act of receiving Christ's benefits and renewing his or her commitment to Christ and his people thereby making the church one body and marking it off from the world. So it's a, it's, it's the Lord's Supper is the church's act to break this down a little bit more of communing with Christ and one another, right? And commemorating Christ's death, right? And so if you haven't read this book, Already, I would encourage you just to read it. It's one of those little small books, Understanding Church Basics, Surrounding the Lord's Supper. It's a, it's a helpful book uh, that will dive deeper into what the Lord's Supper is and even him diving deeper and breaking out this definition. Right. I encourage you to check that out in your own time. Read it. It's a really good book. But on a very street level, on a very street level, the Lord's Supper is this, is this. It's an act that the Lord Jesus instituted, something that he started, that calls his church, his people, to remember together his death for our sins in our place. On a very street level, right? A very simplistic level, that's what the Lord's Supper is. It is an act that Jesus started, right, that he modeled that he uh, lived out, right? This is meant to be a picture, a symbol of that, right? That calls his people, the church, to remember together his death for our sins in our place. It's a symbol pointing back to an actual reality, right? Something that actually happened, right? The Lord Jesus died. We remember his death. We commemorate his death. We find this example from our Lord in the following passages. So Matthew 26, 26 to 28, where the Lord Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. It says this. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I won't read these next two passages, but these are, yeah, Mark's account and Luke's account of the institution of the Lord's Supper. So if you might want to jot those down to check them out again uh, later. So Mark 14, 22 through 24. Luke 22, 19 through 20 for their versions of the institution. Then the Apostle Paul, reflecting on this institution of the Lord's Supper, this biblical ordinance, one of the biblical ordinances, tells the church at Corinth this. Tells the church at Corinth this in 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 29. Now, I won't, I, won't, I won't read the entire passage of 1 Corinthians 11. I would encourage you to read the full passage. But we're going to just skim some of the sections 
as I'm going to kind of just pluck out uh, some of the, the different truths to kind of help us get a feel of that passage, right? So as we look at 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 29, here's, here's what we learn. Here's the following of, of what we learn. Uh, number one, we don't do the Lord's Supper in isolation, but in community of the local gathering. We don't do the Lord's Supper in isolation by ourselves, but we do it in the community of the local gathering. Listen to 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. It says, this is Paul writing to the church of Corinth. He says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church. And then he gives instructions surrounding the Lord's Supper after that. Right. He's, he's when you come together as a church. So this isn't meant to be taken in isolation. Verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 11 says, when you come together. When you come together. It's an emphasis there. That in partaking in the Lord's Supper is a together act, a local church body act together. And then even Acts 27 says on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread. On the first day of the week, the Lord's day, when we were gathered together to break bread. That's Acts 20 verse 7. All right. So that's number one. We don't do the Lord's Supper in isolation, but in community of the local gathering, the local body. Number two, we do this to remember the Lord's death and proclaim his death until he returns. So that's number two. We do this to remember the Lord's death and proclaim his death until he returns. Listen to 1 Corinthians 11, 24 through 26. Here's what it reads. It says, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And this is Paul talking about what the Lord Jesus did, right? And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And here we are. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, right? So that's number two. That's number two, that, that we do this to remember the Lord's death and proclaim his death until he returns. That's what the text literally tells us in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Number three, we are to do this regularly. We are to do this regularly, Right? Listen to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six again. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. So there's, there's no, I know some churches who do it. Like for us right now, we do it once a month. There are churches who do it every Sunday, right? Uh, I, think, I think churches apply that uh, in every way that they deem best in, in honoring the Lord. But there's, there's, there's no cap on that, right? Like Jesus Clear, it's clear, it says, for as often as you do this, you can do this often. So essentially, we are to do this regularly, right? Number four, it's a family meal. It's a family meal, right? Listen to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. 27. It says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. It's 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. So essentially, every time I lead the Lord's Supper, and even some of the churches we come from as, as you know, faithful pastors have led the Lord's Supper, right? Uh, we are reminding one another that this is a family meal, right? That this is a meal only for Christians. Only for Christians. And if there are Christians who are gathered with us, you even heard, have heard me say this at times. If there are Christians who are gathered with us from other churches, one of the things I would say, uh, yeah, as a baptized believer and in good standing with your local church, if you're here today, you are welcome to partake in the Lord's Supper with us. Right? But then you'll also hear me say, graciously and carefully, and caringly, if that's a word, 
that if you're here and you're not a Christian, we want you to let the elements pass you by. But instead, we want you to partake in Christ for the first time. Partake in Christ. Believe upon him for the salvation of your soul. So again, number four, it is a family meal. The Lord's Supper is for those who have, who, are, who have repented of their sins and who are believing Jesus, who have believed Jesus and are believing Jesus, who has taken their sins away. It's a family meal, right? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven is clear. So, so, so we want to, as a body, we want to, yeah, we want to pay careful attention to that, right? And, and, and we don't want anyone to be guilty concerning the blood of the Lord, the body and blood of the Lord. We don't want anyone to partake in this in an unworthy manner, right? That's the whole point. Number five. We must examine ourselves before partaking. We must examine ourselves before partaking in the Lord's Supper. And this isn't just something that just starts on the day of, right? We want to be, as we're preparing to partake in the Lord's Supper, we want to pay careful attention to ourselves, to our heart. We want to examine our lives. And so when we come together, we want to continue to examine our hearts and our lives before the Lord and confess sin. But I hope and trust that you already are confessing sin throughout the week. Confessing sin to the Lord. Confessing sin to one another as we talked a bit about that last week more in detail. And that when we are gathered to remember the Lord's death that we come reflecting confessing Repenting, turning away from sin, and then receiving, trusting, holding on to, clinging to Christ and what he has done in forgiving us of our sins, freeing us from our sins, giving us victory in him over all our enemies. Sin, death, the grave. The enemy, Satan. So we want to examine ourselves. We want to confess our sin and repent of our sin and receive the mercy that is found only in Christ. And for those who may not know Christ yet, we want to encourage them to reflect too. To reflect. Reflect on how they are a sinner in need of saving, just like the rest of us. And that Jesus is the only one that could save and can save. And so we wanna examine as Christians and also encourage non-Christians to do the same and then rely on Christ. So this is a practice that Jesus himself instituted, the Lord's Supper, that he instituted with the disciples and that the early church continued. And it's because of this. So Jesus instituting him, starting him, showing him, modeling. And the early church continuing. That it is important. That this is of importance. The Lord's Supper. It's weighty. And we want to come correct. To the Lord's Supper. Amen. So Jesus institutes this and he tells us to continue this. Why? Well, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26, once again, gives us the answer. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, what do you do? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we do two things on this verse. We do two things in light of this verse, right? As we partake in the Lord's Supper together. We, number one, we remember. And number two, we proclaim. 
Number one, we remember. And number two, we proclaim. So we remember, as the text tells us, to remember the Lord's death. Remember, do this in remembrance of me, as Jesus mentions, mentions that throughout that passage. Remember, 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 remember the price I paid for your sin. Remember that you at one time were enemies, but now you are a friend of God. At one time you were dead in your sins and trespasses, headed to hell. I've made you alive. One time, you were enslaved to sin. But now in Christ, you've been set free from sin. And you've been cleansed. Remember this. Remember this. Remember the price I paid for you and for me. Remember the joy that you have in the gospel. In and through Christ and in what he's done on your behalf. Remember the hope that you have now. At one point you were hopeless. Now you have hope in God. Remember his death. Christians in the room, remember his death. How, how easy, though, is it to forget? We have spiritual amnesia when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to Jesus' death. And here we are, as we think about the Lord's Supper, Jesus reminding us, challenging us, remember, remember, remember. Well, we not only remember, we also proclaim you also proclaim. That's what it says, that you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so when we are partaking in the Lord's Supper, we are indeed proclaiming to one another as Christians that, yes, I stand on, I bank on together. I believe that Jesus' body was broken on my behalf and that his blood was shed for my sins. We're proclaiming that to one another as we partake in the Lord's Supper. And we're also proclaiming that to non-Christians. That essentially what is happening is that we are remembering the gospel as we partake in the Lord's Supper and we are also proclaiming the gospel as we partake in the Lord's Supper. So we remember that the bread symbolizes Jesus' broken body again, and that the cup symbolizes the shed blood of Christ for our sins in our place. And that, beloved, he did this because he had to for our sake. For our sake, he had to. And because we desperately needed him to. And so this Jesus comes, lives a perfect sinless life, dies the death that you and I deserve on the cross because it was our sin that separated us from God. God created us yeah, for his glory to worship him. We had perfect harmony in the garden, right? There was peace, shalom. That peace was broken because of man's sin and that wrecked everything after that. And every human being that's been born since has been born with a defect and that being sin, born with a disease and that being sin that separates us from God. And because of that, there was no way to get back to him unless God made a way. And he did make a way through his son, Jesus, by sending him to bridge that gap, to restore the broken fellowship that you and I had. And through Jesus' life, his death and resurrection, he in fact, he indeed restored fellowship through his broken body, through his bloodshed. 
And because that is true, he calls us to then respond to that. To respond, to turn away from our sin and to turn to him by faith and trust in him alone. And if you are a Christian, praise the Lord that 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 is already true of you. That you have responded in this way, but we keep on responding in this way. We continue as we even think about the Lord's Supper. Christians, we are to continue to reflect. Right. We are continue to repent. And we are to continue to remember. Remember the gospel. Remember the Lord's death. For any non-Christians, my encouragement, what I would implore, what I would, yeah, encourage and challenge would be for any non-Christians would be for them too to reflect, to reflect on their sin and how it is indeed separating you from God, has separated you from God. And that there's nothing that you can do to bridge that gap, but everything that Christ has already done for you to bridge that gap. Believe upon him, repent of your sins, turn away from your sins and rely on him. So non-Christians, reflect, repent and rely, rely on Christ. That's what the Lord's table, when we come to the Lord's table, reminds us to do. Christians and non-Christians alike, that we remember the gospel and that we proclaim the gospel. So church family, as we think about the breaking of bread together, may we do that. May we do that in in regular meals, normal meals. And I'm encouraged. I mean, even just thinking about the women's event yesterday, as you ladies came together and fellowshiped over the word and over a meal, praise the Lord. And encourage one another. I'm, I'm excited to, to know there will be more fellowships continuing to happen for the ladies and for the men. So we want to, and in and, and times when it's, when it's organic, where you're just grabbing a meal with one another, praise the Lord. May we do that more and more. Looking forward as an, another way to apply this as we've been thinking about fellowship and breaking bread and, you know, the word and prayer as we'll look at next week. But as we're going to start coming together on the first Sunday of each month, right? To spend time in prayer together like we would do on the first Wednesday of each month, but now on the first Sunday, spending some time after service devoted to prayer and also devoting ourselves to fellowship, to breaking bread together. I'm excited for that. I'm encouraged to to do that and continue to do that. All the while, as a church, as a new church coming up on two years, as we continue to strive and seek to devote ourselves to these things, the simple, ordinary, biblical things. And as we continue to devote ourselves to the simple, ordinary, biblical things, by God's grace, we'll continue to see fruit. Amen? Amen. More fruit evidenced in our lives how the Lord's already been working in our lives, in our families, so forth and so forth, and how you will continue to do that. Amen? Amen. Let me pray as Nikki comes back up. Father, indeed, we do thank you for this afternoon. Lord, I just praise you for this church. I thank you for... Yeah, how you um, raised up this church and how you are um, sustaining this church, keeping this church, and how you will continue to keep this church. I praise you, God, for each and every member of this church and how you have saved them for your glory. Save them as your own prized possession. And that you saved us in community as your people to worship you and to magnify you as we gather 
regularly on the Lord's day and as we scatter throughout the weekdays. Lord, would you indeed continue to help us, Lord, to devote ourselves to the breaking of bread, to the regular fellowship meals of getting together with the local body here and fellowshipping around your word and praying with one another. Would you continue to, yeah, set our hearts ablaze for those things. And I'm so encouraged by how those things are already happening in in different ways. But Lord, may we continue to prioritize these things and devote ourselves more and more to these things. The simple, the ordinary, biblical things. And as we do, we know, as you've already been doing so, that you'll produce fruit. That you'll grant fruit. That, that, that this church will continue to bear fruit. And as we continue, Lord, that you will continue to, yeah, make us fruitful. So, God, we pray that you would do that. Do more above and beyond. I can even ask or think right now, Lord. Do that amongst our fellowship, Lord. We want people, yeah, we want, we want one another as we come together to, to yeah, as is even said in the book of Acts that, man, this fellowship that the church did and for us today that, that it was known that those folks have been with God. <laughs> and we want that same, yeah, thing to be echoed for all of us, Lord, that, man, when we encounter one another, it is true that, yo, we have been with you. And that for unbelievers who, who witness our fellowship, that they too would, yeah, be like, man, like they, they have been with God. They, have, they exude him. They leak him. They, that, that, that's who their lives are consumed with. I pray that, yeah, that that would continue to be true of our gathering as we devote ourselves to these things. I pray that you would convict our hearts, Lord. If any of us in any way, even myself, could say, yeah, I got that, know that, been, yep. I pray, Lord, that you would convict our hearts to not, yeah, to not just view this or any of the things, Lord, as we've been thinking about devoting ourselves to as something like, yeah, I, I got that. I've, I, I'm doing that. I've already done that. I pray instead that we would hear it with fresh ears and see it with fresh eyes and that you would help us to continue, yeah, to devote ourselves to these things. We pray. Do it, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.